0: morning, everyone. I add my welcome to you all. My name is Greg Durenberger. I'm one of the elders here. <laughs> it sounds so strange this morning. <laughs> Sorry. I want to invite you to turn to the little book of Habakkuk. You brought your Bible or your electronic device, or you can give your attention. We'll have the text up on the screen, and we're gonna, we're continuing to make our way through this prophetic work, and uh, today we're going to be giving our attention to Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 4 through 20. I'd like you to imagine for a moment that you're on the receiving end of this letter, a letter from your daughter who has been away at college, dear mom and dad. Since I've been away at college, I've been remiss in writing, and I apologize in not having written before. I'll bring you up to date, but before I do, please sit down. Are you sitting down? It's important that you sit down before you continue reading this letter. I'm getting along pretty well now that I'm beginning to recover from the skull fracture and concussion I got when I jumped out of my dormitory window when my dormitory caught on fire shortly after my arrival. My concussion is pretty well healed. I only get those sick headaches a couple times a day. Fortunately, the dormitory fire and my jump were both witnessed by an attendant at a gas station. He ran over took me to the hospital and continued to visit me there. When I got out of the hospital, I had nowhere to live because of the burnt-out condition of my room. So he was kind enough to invite me to share his basement bedroom apartment with him. It's sort of small, but very cute. He's a very fine young man, and we've fallen deeply in love and we're planning to get married. We haven't set the exact date yet, but it will be before my pregnancy begins to show. Yes, mom and dad, I'm pregnant. I know how much you're looking forward to being grandparents and I know you will welcome the baby and give it the same tender care and devotion you gave me when I was a child. The reason for our delay in our marriage is that my boyfriend, has an infection that I carelessly caught from him. I know, however, that you will welcome him into our family with open arms. He's kind, but though not well-educated, he is ambitious. Although he is of a different race and religion than ours, I know that your often-expressed tolerance will not be bothered by that, In conclusion, now that I've brought you up to date, I want to tell you that there was no dormitory fire. I did not have a concussion or skull fracture. I was not in the hospital. I am not pregnant. I do not have an infection, and there is no boyfriend in my life. However, I have failed history and science, And I wanted you to see these results in their proper perspective, (laughs) such as the transformative effect of reframing and a proper perspective. The prophet Habakkuk is another example of someone transformed, not by virtue of a a shift of circumstances, but by a shift of perspective. Habakkuk's developmental journey begins with unsettling questions and fear. We saw that in Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, where he says, O oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear or cry to you, violence, and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? But Habakkuk ends with quietness and contentment. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17 says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no fruit. The flock will be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. So what changed the prophet's situation? From Habakkuk's perspective, at the beginning of this book, lots of things are on a disastrous trajectory, and it looks like God isn't doing anything. But then Habakkuk, by God's grace, stops, quiets his soul before the Lord, lays his troubles out on the altar of prayer, leaves them there. He intentionally offers to God access to his soul. It's not something that one can do in a hurry. That's why it requires waiting. Does the Lord have complete access to the inner structures of your being? It's there that he communicates himself. It's there that God communicates himself to Habakkuk. out Out of the place of loving union. Or as J.I. Packer puts it, divine companionship. Habakkuk discovers the transformative power of a proper perspective, a divine perspective. He is changed. He's the one that's different. Unsettledness gives way to satisfaction. Fear gives way to faith. And our text now today in Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 4 through 20 captures the substance of such a divine and transformative perspective. It's not often that we are provided with a view into the interior workings of the human soul. So what what God has breathed out here is very, very precious, We're on holy ground, and clearly it is intended for our instruction and our divine perspective. And therefore, it's on account of our desire for this divine companionship and for divine perspective that we we come to know only through the divine revelation communicated through this book that I want to invite you, if you're physically able, please stand with me and follow along as I read Habakkuk chapter 2. Verses 4 through 20. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as shield. Like death, he never has enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects at his own all peoples. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own, for how long, and loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise, and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoil for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to the cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of them. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood, and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire, and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup of the Lord's right hand will come around to you. And utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you. As will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them. For the blood of man and violence to the earth. To cities and all who dwell in them. What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image. A teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake! To a silent stone, arise! Can this teach? Behold! It is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. And may the Spirit of the Lord open the eyes and ears of our hearts to hear and to trust and rest in God's holy word. Let's pray together. Lord, that that holy, quiet... That reverential peace is clearly the fruit of, of a relationship of nearness with you. And what hope would we have for such communion, such fellowship with the divine, apart from the person? and the work of our dear Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. We thank you for the access that we have into you and into communion with you, companionship with you that changes everything because it changes us at the depth of our being. And so we do ask, O Lord, that you would open the eyes and the ears of our hearts that we might hear rightly, to trust sincerely, to rest deeply in all that you are for us. We ask that now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Three times in this text, the prophet writes, Behold, look, pay attention. We're supposed to see something here. When times are turbulent and our thoughts are troubled, we tend to, to lose perspective. It's something called the fog of war. I, I often find myself recalling just sort of automatically, sadly not Scripture, as much as I recall the words of the great theological mind of Mike Tyson, who once said, everyone has a plan until he gets punched in the mouth. Then everything turns fuzzy once you get your bell rung. Um, And the only way to pay attention and behold things is by slowing down For loving divine communion with the Lord. And so now, Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 4 through 20, it serves us by opening a window into that, into, into what Habakkuk was able to see and hear once he stopped and looked and waited. And so, through Habakkuk, God is calling us to recalibrate our perspective. To God's perspective. And, and really, the upshot of this passage from one perspective is that these dreaded Chaldeans, you know, the Babylonians under the, the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, whom God was about to use as an instrument of discipline on God's people, were themselves going to be ultimately disciplined, chastised defeated. They will go down. And seeing that, understanding that, and maintaining that perspective had a transformative impact on our man Habakkuk. And I want to draw your attention now to to three things that I see in this text that I, I, I believe if we keep them in view and not lose sight of them may also transform our fears during troubling times, to faith during troubling times. Things we must not lose sight of. And the first thing is the certain and devastating consequences for sins. Beginning in verse 6, ending in verse 19, the word woe is used five times. And it's not the word woe. W-O-A-H. It is the word woe. W-O-E. It's a cry of lament. It was originally associated with what happens at funerals. It's the expression of grief one felt at the loss of one who died. People would sing these laments, these woes. But in this context, it is a vivid way of pressing home how sad and pathetic are the consequences on account of the conduct of the Chaldeans. Even though, keep in mind, these things had not even happened yet. (laughs) Habakkuk was looking into the future and seeing these things. Even though they had not yet actually appeared on the scene, the Chaldeans were as good as dead. Let's just sing a a funeral dirge for them. Woe to you. It means cursed are you on account of your sins. And the list of sins here is comprehensive. Verse 6. Woe to him. Cursed is the one who heaps up what is not his own. Loads himself with pledges. The Chaldeans were takers. They thieves. They, they robbed. They, they obtained what was not theirs. And they, they took and they overreached. And they piled up debt. Verse 9. Woe. To him who gets evil gain for his house. To set his nest on high. To be safe from the reach of of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. Such is the consequence of sin. They cheated. Through unfair means they positioned themselves in high places. And then took advantage of their high places in order to escape the consequences. Verse 12. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. There's just no reluctance in them in walking on people, walking over people, and employing violence or whatever it takes to get what they want. Verse 15. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. The cup of the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. Shaming others is a shameful thing, and it ends with utter shame to the one who does the shaming. Verse 19, woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? This wooden thing, this stone, behold, it's overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath in it at all. Idolatry, bowing down, looking for life, looking for soul satisfaction, in created things that aren't alive. They can't speak, they don't breathe, they don't do... All it does is end in spiritual deadness, spiritual lifelessness. Now, it's tempting, isn't it, to look at current events, to look at what happens in the world, and to think... (laughs) I could never get away with that. How do they think they can get away with that? How come it is that their sins go unpunished? But, loved ones, the reminder here, the perspective here, is that God keeps a very detailed account, a detailed record of sins. He marks every transgression. According to this text... (laughs) He marks people's sins before they are even acted out. And one day the books will be opened and all will be held accountable. And behold, every sin committed by everyone, everyone, whether they're Chaldeans or Israelites or they're... Marxists or white supremacists or they're liberals or conservatives or atheists or agnostics or Christians, Calvinists, Arminians, complementarians, egalitarians, men, women, boys, girls, whatever their agenda. Every sin ever committed by everyone who has ever lived is living, is yet to live, will be punished. And woe, 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 woe. You have forfeited your life. We dare not lose sight of that. The fact that there are consequences for sins. Otherwise, our perspective will be such that when we see sins going on all around us, it's crushing. Second, we dare not lose sight of where God is going. In in crazy, unsettling, troubling times, many will ask, Where is this? Where is all this going? Where is it going to end? And apart from a divine perspective, which is the result of deep divine companionship, We can lose sight of where God is going. And you might say, well, you mean God's going somewhere? (laughs) And the answer from Scripture is a resounding yes. Yes, Scripture reveals that God has an overarching aim in all that He has done in history past, all that is happening in history present and where history is going to culminate. And apart from a firm conviction about where God is heading, and guiding, and leading, and directing history, as well as a firm conviction that nothing can stop Him, thwart Him from getting there, any and every troubling gust of circumstantial turbulence will knock us off balance. God has a goal in history. According to Isaiah chapter forty six verses nine through ten. I am God, and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish my purpose. God has a purpose he has a goal there's a there's an an end, and he's already made it known, and he's going to get there, and nothing is going to stop him. God has a goal, and nothing can stand in the way of him achieving it. According to Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 13, behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that people labor merely for fire? And nations weary themselves for nothing? I mean, when you you look out on history and you go, what are they doing? They're wearing themselves out. God is the one who is doing that. He's the one who's over that. It's from the Lord of hosts that people labor merely for fire. And the nations weary themselves for nothing. It's the Lord of hosts who is sovereignly, providentially, over and under and behind. The providence and the extent of influence of every people group. Every nation, tribe, every geopolitical entity. It is God who reigns as king over current events. And therefore, we can be sure that nothing in all history happens apart from God's divine command. Speaking to this very situation of the Chaldeans and their overrunning Jerusalem and taking God's people into captivity, Lamentations chapter 3, verse 37 says, Who has spoken, and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it. Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad? In the context, the bad meaning the invasion of the Chaldeans and the downfall of Jerusalem. Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? And the answer is, yeah. Yeah, it's from the mouth of the Most High. And so where is God going? What is the aim and the purpose of of it all, of all history, including the good and the bad? Well, according to Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, that aim is that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The supreme goal of God in history, culminating in the person and the work of our Lord Jesus Christ, guaranteed by what He has accomplished in all that He has done, is doing, has yet to do, is to put His glory on display, that is, His righteousness, His justice, His mercy, His power, His wisdom, and all His infinite and glorious attributes for the sake of His honor and his praise. Loved ones, God is aiming at a world filled with worshippers of his great name. And not even the king of the Chaldeans, Nebuchadnezzar himself, was able to resist the fulfillment of the goal of God. What a remarkable text. I remember back last fall when we were, we were walking through Daniel. Daniel chapter 4, verse 37 says, Well, Nebuchadnezzar himself speaks. He says, Now I, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. It's like, It's like water filling in every little nook and cranny. And at the beginning, when it's filling nooks and crannies, you don't even see the waters rising. But once every little nook and cranny is full and it keeps rising and rising and rising, eventually, eventually, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. All of history. All of history, including our current events, will serve God's purpose and fulfill His aim to be known and loved and revered and praised by some from every nation, language, tribe. And people do not lose sight of that in the midst of all that's going on. It will happen. And then one more thing here before we pause for the Lord's Supper. I think it's right for us to to be mindful to not lose sight of the the soul-satisfying impact. There's just a very practical soul-satisfying impact of this divine companionship attested to by Habakkuk. There's there's a a very attention-getting contrast going on in this passage, in this particular passage, between the Chaldeans and the righteous, first of all. See it in verses 4 and 5. Behold, look, check this out. His soul, that is the Chaldeans, that's personified in, in a singular he. His soul is puffed up. It's not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor and arrogant man who is never at rest his greed is as wide as shield like death he never has enough so over here you got the puffed up guy the proud guy he's he's looking for comfort through things that only serve to numb his restless soul he drinks a lot and you know Trusts the promise that it holds out. And he realizes, well, that, that promise was a lie. He was a traitor. Instead of peace, he's never satisfied. He never has enough. The righteous, on the other hand, lives by faith. He lives in this quiet, patient Reliance on some, some one eternal. He looks away from himself. He draws in fullness for his soul from all that God has promised to be for him. It takes time. It takes quietness, undistractedness. One person over here is looking to conquest and achievement and gain for his sense of well-being. Just more and more and more. Just never gets enough. External markers of, are his measure of success. And for a season, it really looks like he's on top of the world. But his greatness is temporary. And the fruit of all that ambition is this field of fractured, relationships and bodies strewn everywhere and shame. It's it's said that you cannot live at warp speed without warping your soul. That's the Chaldeans. Meanwhile, the one over here lives out of deep daily communion with the Lord, the Lord who rules and reigns over all that's going on in the world, and that bears a totally different kind of a fruit. That's the other contrast. His fruit is joy in and all that God is for him. His heart hunger is satisfied. Habakkuk 3.19 says, God, the Lord is my strength. The Lord is his strength. Not him. <laughs> he makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. Well, this guy is using deception to gain the high ground. This guy is trusting in the Lord to take the high ground. Even in troubling times, on account of his divine companionship, the fruit of his life is humility and reverence, and peace. Habakkuk 2.20 is really a, a picture of this. The, the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. That's, that's the appropriate thing. That's the fruit of, of divine companionship, living by faith. It's, it's the ability to, to sit in silence and reverent Before the Lord. It is a remarkable tone shift in the tone of the text. You you can't help but notice how verses four through 19 communicate this, just this emphatic denunciation of the Chaldeans' sins. The text is marked by biting sarcasm and mockery. Verse 6 says, shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, whoa, who are all these? Who are all these who take up their taunt and their scoffing? And, And are we to understand all that? trash talk that's what it is it's just trash talking and ridicule is that intended to be prescriptive for those who claim the moral high ground and the theological high ground it seems that the all these who are singing their sarcastic funeral dirge in verses 6 through 19 It seems that they're the nations and the people groups that are referred to in verse 5. He, again, this is now referring to the Chaldeans. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all people. So he's he's crushed all these people. He's defeated them, humiliated them, whatever. And then in verse 6 it says, shall not all these take up their taunt against him. So so the ones that are taking up the taunt and the trash talk, it's a reference really to anybody who has suffered at the hands of Babylon. But there is no grammatical sense of either an implied or explicit imperative. In other words, mocking the Chaldeans is not something that we're commanded to do. M- mocking our oppressors is, is not something for which we are commended. I mean, seriously, we don't need an imperative to celebrate, to, to just feel the impulse of, yeah, yeah, it. yes! <laughs> <laughs> We don't need that. We don't need to be commanded to do that. We just want to do that. Mocking fools, mocking our enemies, it comes quite naturally. In fact, since it is the Chaldeans who are ordained by God, established by God, sent by God to administer the chastisement to Judah. Listen, the people of God are the last ones, the last ones that we should be here hearing taunting and scoffing and sarcastic ridicule. You know, it's like the the football team that's just getting plastered. You know, they're just losing, just getting humiliated and womped on and. And, you know, at the end of the game, they're down by, you know, 10 touchdowns. And some guy makes a great hit and he goes, yeah, I'll go <laughs> And you just go, whoa, man, you guys are getting killed. You don't have any time for that stuff. It's sadly incongruent. But for the people of God who live according to their faith, Are the people of God who walk in divine companionship? There's There's a contrast of reaction, is there not? They don't join necessarily in singing the songs of sarcasm. They they recognize that their countless sins are covered. They trust that their guilt has been removed. It's on account of absolutely nothing that they have done except to repent of their sins and cast themselves on the mercy of the Lord. Mercy obtained through the bloody death of a victim offered up in their place. And And the outstanding fruit of that faith is self giving love for God an engagement with the lost for their praise of the Lord, including the proverbial Chaldeans, out of the richness of relationship with the king who is over all kings, out of the richness and depth and fullness of, of the relationship with the Lord who is over all lords, they join with all creation in humble reverence and quietness of soul. And when they sing, when, and they do sing, when they sing, they sing songs of joy with trembling. When they sing, and oh how they do sing, they exult in God's greatness, loudly, passionately, with broken hearted compassion. And so we we also must not lose sight of the cross, because it is through God's grace alone By God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that our hearts then become the temple of of God. We become the temple of God where He takes up His residence. And by His Spirit, He comes to dwell among us. We're no better than the Chaldeans, we're all guilty of countless sins. We entrust ourselves to nothing in men or in and of ourselves, but in God alone. He is here. He is here if you are trusting in Him alone, dwelling among, in, through His people by the grace of the Holy Spirit and to the praise of His unmerited kindness and His redeeming grace. The most appropriate response for all the earth is to close our mouths for a bit in humble grateful peaceful soul satisfied silence let's pray together oh the good fruit that comes from divine contemplation contemplating who you are oh God contemplating what you have done are doing and will do, contemplating the consequences of sin, contemplating your unthwartable purpose and aim, accomplished through the person and the work of our Lord Jesus the Christ. And the fruit of that on our souls, on our disposition. Well, it's a different, it's a different reaction. A fitting reaction based on a proper perspective of, of you and all that you are. And who we are in light of you. And I want to thank you today, Lord, that... Yet another transformative truth to not lose sight of is that for each and every person who is trusting in Christ alone for the forgiveness of their sins, as well as the fulfillment of every promise that you have made, including the fulfillment of an entire earth, every nation, Language, people group, tribe, some from everyone, praising you, praising you, worshiping you for the mercy that has been shown to them by grace through faith in Christ. Nothing can stop you, Lord, because of this great sacrifice of our Lord Jesus. Let that have its full impact on us. Let us be a people of humble reverence, tender-hearted compassion, peace and quiet of soul. And let that preach to the world of the truth of who you are and all that you've done. So now to all who who are weary, who have come anxious, who do need rest, to all who are mourning over losses in your lives, who feel defeated and run over or worthless and wonder if God cares for you, to all who fail. And our longing for strength. To all who have sinned and need a Savior. Jesus is calling you to Himself. To divine companionship with a great Savior. To all who trust Him. He is the the defender of the guilty. To all who are turning to Him. He is the justifier of the inexcusable. To all who would draw near to Him. By faith He is a friend Of sinners. Look to him.